good morning. Congratulations to everybody that was involved in Fair Week. You made it. And if you are sitting next to somebody that was involved in Fair Week, you might just lean a little bit closer, sharpen up the elbow, and if you see a head nodding, just give him a nice little jab. And if we hear an owl, we'll understand, and it's perfectly fine. So, nah, and what a great way to end it. We had, I think it was like a high of 80 degrees, and we got rain. Praise God for the rain. It was wonderful to have it. Um, so, we have been having some creek work done in our front yard, and so our front yard kind of looks a little rough, um, but I'm excited about it. And I was kind of anticipating this rain, looking forward to it, because I want to know how that creek is going to flow. Because before, like I think it was last summer, it flowed so well that it covered our entire bridge one time. And I was ready to like hop out there in the kayak and like go like whitewater rafting and everything. And I thought it was going to be awesome. And then Common Sense, aka my wife, um, was like, that's a stupid idea. Don't do that. And so I played around in the backyard. But um, one of the reasons among countless probably that it was a bad idea is well we have barbed wire and so barbed wire flowing water my flesh um, would not work out too well but also it was moving at a really wicked pace um, I mean it, it was just flowing and I don't know if you've ever dealt with fast water but we used to always, when I was growing up, we would go uh, floating down like in Knoll area, Pineville area, down the Elk River. And it was always fun because you'd have a couple areas that were uh, flowing pretty good. And those were exciting because that's where you got to see people crash. Because the water would be flowing so fast. It was also exciting because that's where you saw people struggle with water as they crash, that water just keeps pushing them and pushing against them. And so, you know, you bank your canoe, you jump out and you start walking over to them and you realize this water's moving fast for a reason. It's because it's about four feet deep, it's above your waist and it's just flowing. And so as you're walking through it, you start to drift down water. And so what do you do in that moment? When you catch yourself just being pushed by all this water, and so you like hunker down. You like think, I'm heavy, I'm anchored to the ground, and I'm not going to move. And you try and anchor yourself, and then you realize, I'm buoyant, I'm going to float, and you start working your way down water even more. So then you think the next thing I have to do is grab whatever is possible. So you're like grabbing at tree branches just for it to break off. And then you're grabbing at other people and realizing they're not gonna anchor you down. And you have to find something solid to anchor yourself to. And I share that because that is the exact same thing that deals in life. As Jesus has told us about in his parable of the wise and foolish builder, he used the parable, what are you building your house on? Is it sand or is it the rock? But it's also, what are you anchoring yourself to? Because we're finishing up our series on 1 Peter this morning. And Peter honestly is not a really a light, easy read. Because as you read through Peter, you read words about it's good when you suffer for the name of Jesus. You read things about rejoice when you are suffering. 
as we looked at last week, we read things about how you used to live this way, but then when you give your life over to Jesus, you now give up the things of your past, the drunken parties, the orgies, the drunkenness, the, the idolatry, the adultery. You give up all of that stuff. And then he goes on to say, and people are going to look at you and think you're weird. And they're going to wonder, why are you not doing the things you used to do? You used to be pretty cool. Now you're lame. Now you're holier than thou and high and mighty are things that they'll say. But Peter is encouraging us to stand firm through all of that. And the reason that Peter has been telling this is because right away when he opens up his letter, he says to the exiles, to the aliens, to the strangers, the pilgrims, the foreigners, whatever your version says, Peter is laying the foundation that we've been building this series off. We're not American citizens. We're not citizens of this world. Instead, what Peter has been telling us over and over is we belong to an eternal kingdom. And so he says, because you belong to an eternal kingdom, live holy lives. He says, you are to be perfect. I believe it's uh, chapter one, verse 17. You are to be perfect just as I am perfect, or you are to be holy just as I am holy. And then in chapter two, verse nine, he says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a chosen people. You have been redeemed from your sinful way of life. And you have been given this new identity with this new inheritance. You are a citizen of the eternal kingdom of heaven. And so Peter is saying, live as a citizen of the eternal kingdom of heaven. But he says that when you do, brace yourselves. Because to live that way, is to live contrary to the world. And to live contrary to the world is to bring suffering upon yourself. That was the message of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where he gave the Beatitudes. And the last two, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And then he turns it around and says, blessed are you. When you are insulted, reviled, when people say false kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus, Peter, Paul, they're all saying, when you identify with Christ, you can expect suffering to come. And again, there's different kinds of suffering. There is the, just because I'm a dumb human being, I'm going to put suffering on myself. There is just because there are other sinful people in this world, and we live in a fallen and broken world, suffering's going to come because of that. But Peter's really hitting on the, this is the suffering that you can expect when you live for the kingdom of heaven, when you set yourselves apart. And so Peter's gonna wrap up his letter today. And he's gonna tell us, because he ended chapter four by saying, uh, I'm gonna read it real quick. He said, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so he says something really, really heavy there that if you just glance over it real quick, it's like, okay. He said, those who suffer according to God's will, that sometimes it is God's will for his people to go through suffering. That's how James is able to say, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of various kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. We're told rejoice in those circumstances 
Because again, we're not American citizens. I mean, yes, we are on this earth, but that is not our identity. And so that's why I've titled this American Idol because the whole theme of this series has been, let's step out of our American view of life, which is the American dream. Love, no, that's the uh, fruit of the spirit. Uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let's step out of that and step into God, let your will be done. It's not about me, it's about you. I'm not here in the here and now living for my temporary joy, but instead I am your servant and I'm gonna glorify you. Isaiah 43, seven says that we are created for his glory. That's our purpose, to glorify him. If that comes in suffering or in joyful moments, we're here for his glory, ultimately. And so Peter's gonna wrap things up because as he's telling us, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust themselves to their faithful creator, he's gonna share with us that God has set up a system to help us through that. A system that he calls his body, this. Not what we're doing right now, but what we are through the week fellow brothers and sisters that Paul tells us in Galatians to bear one another's burdens. And so we're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter five and we're just gonna open up in a word of prayer and then we'll work our way through it. So Father God, we come before you and God, we thank you just for who you are. God, that you um, have given us a hope that goes beyond this life so that when we have the right focus on you and on what that means, God, we don't look at our temporary circumstances, even though they're real and they're painful, but God, we fix our eyes on you. And so I just pray that as, as we do that this morning and as you, you speak to us more about how we are called to live this life, God, let it enter our hearts and let us just give you the glory in everything that we do. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this, amen. So in verse 19 of chapter four, I'm gonna finish that one real quick. He said again, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. With that in mind, he goes on to say in chapter five, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so Peter, he's just told us. He has just said suffering is gonna come. And again, sometimes suffering is the will of God. And the question is why? And the answer is so that God may be glorified through that. That again, as we looked at last week, count the cost. A person, Jesus says, does not start building a house without at first considering how much he is willing to spend on it because then he'll get halfway through and be like, oh, I can't finish it. 
And he says in the same way, don't just willy-nilly say, yeah, I'll follow Jesus until things get difficult. He says, before you come, consider what is it you're willing to give up? Because Jesus says, anybody who comes after me must hate father and mother, brother, sister, wife, yes, even their own lives. And anybody who does not do that cannot be my disciple. And so Jesus is saying, consider the cost. How much are you willing to give for the gospel of Jesus? And, and then Peter is saying that, yes, because of that, sufferings are going to come. And when suffering comes, faith gets shaken. But God has orchestrated and set up a system to help us through that. And so Peter says, I exhort, I'm calling out the elders among you to shepherd the flock that has been entrusted to you. Because Peter is uh, kind of uh, reaching on this, on this analogy that Jesus uses in John chapter 10. Jesus uses the example. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. So Jesus is making this illustration here. He says, we're sheep. I don't know if you would ever describe yourself by an animal. Sheep would not be at the top of my list. Like gorilla, like lion, yeah, I love lions. Like they're awesome looking. But sheep, like Dale's favorite animal. I mean, the dude, if it, side note, if you have sheep and you need help, call Dale Helwig. He will love, like love to come help you take care of your prairie maggots, as I've heard somebody else call them that. Dale's favorite animal. <laughs> Sorry, Dale. Anyways, I'm buying sheep just so I can do that. Like, constant connection there. But we're called sheep. Sheep aren't brave. Sheep are not smart. Like, you know why Psalm 23 says that the sheep need to be led by still waters? Because a sheep will go into the heavy current water. Their fleece will soak up all that water and they're downstream because they're dumb. And it's like, why, why do I have to be described like that, Jesus? Can't you be like you, you Christians, you are mighty, you are mighty eagles, you are mighty lions, gorillas, Labrador retrievers, whatever you want to call it. Like, why can't you compare me to something good, Jesus? Because the reality is I'm a sheep. We are sheep. And the problem with sheep is when difficulty comes, when the wolf comes, Jesus says, the sheep flee. The sheep will scatter. And Jesus says, ultimately, he is the good shepherd. But then Peter is now saying that Jesus 
has orchestrated and aligned shepherds of the flock. That as believers, we are the body of Christ. We are the flock of his pastor. But Jesus has left shepherds for us, the elders. Because Peter is again reminding himself or remembering his final conversation with Jesus that is recorded in scripture. In John chapter one, when it says they had finished eating breakfast, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He is now appearing to the disciples by the sea. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, son, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus again says, feed my sheep. But there's so many sheep. I mean, how is it that Peter is going to be able to take care of all these believers in all these areas? And so Paul writes to Timothy and to Titus and says, appoint for yourselves elders to help guide and lead and entrust, to do the role of a shepherd, to feed the sheep, to care for the sheep, nurture the sheep, protect the sheep. Because again, when the wolf comes, the sheep scatter. But we need men who will stand in the gap. I love Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. I know this is not what it means, but it's how I read into it. It's what I love where, Jesus, where God is saying, I looked for a man among them to stand in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. And he says, but I found none. And ultimately, we're still not that one. Jesus is the only one. But as C.S., or not C.S. Lewis, Dwight L. Moody said, the world has yet to see a man who has fully devoted himself to Christ, but I aim to be that man. So God is looking for people to stand in the gap. Um, sorry. He's looking for people to stand on the gap before him, between him and his people to help protect, guide, shepherd. And he's appointed elders. He's entrusted them. And, and I, I will just say right here, right now, it is an honor to serve with the elders of this church, to be able to meet with them and see their heart for God, but also elders. It's a big thing that we're rising up to. Like you have been appointed with the souls of this body. Like I know busyness and things go on and this is not like uh, anything at the elders. It's an encouragement. It's an encouragement for younger men who I pray someday you will rise up and be elders of this church as well. It starts now. It's not, well, someday. It's right now. You start preparing for that. And Peter, he says how the elders are supposed to lead. He's like, hey, don't, don't do it out of compulsion. Don't do it seeking ill gain. But notice what he said. He said, not domineering over those in your charge. This is verse 3 but being an example to them. Just as we went through in 1 Peter chapter 3, husbands and wives, there are different roles. Not saying one is better than the other, saying God has orchestrated a design and a pattern and there are different roles. There's a different hierarchy. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. But that doesn't just come with title. 
It's not just husbands, well, because I'm the husband, you should do as I say. It's not just, well, because I'm an elder, you need to do as I say. It is a lead by example on both fronts. Husbands are called to lead by example. Elders, we are called to lead by example. That when people are like, what does it look like to seek after Christ wholeheartedly? They should be able to look at us. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. That when we look at the life of Paul, we should see Christ. When you look at the life of the elders, you should see Christ. Peter's saying, I'm calling on the elders among you. Shepherd the flock. But he says the way that everybody, the leaders and the flock, are supposed to do this in verse 5. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, with humility comes the realization that we're called to serve one another. With humility comes the realization that, honestly, there is nothing beneath us. It's not like, well, that job, there's somebody else that should be doing that. That's, that's below my level. Look at Jesus. On the night that he is literally giving his life, you find him doing the role of the, the lowest servant. He gets to wash the dirty feet of his disciples. And he says, the servant is not greater than the master. So if the master does this, we too are called to do that. He's leading by example. That the church should be filled with humility. That pride is actually anti-biblical and anti-gospel. That there should be no room for pride in it. Because God even says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We are called to live in humble lives. Because that is the essence of the gospel. In Philippians, we're told to have the same mindset of Christ. And that mindset is, even though he was in the nature of God, he humbled himself by taking on the form of a man, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because it takes humility to realize you need Jesus. It takes humility to realize that you are called to serve one another, regardless of who they are that we are called to serve one another. It takes humility to bear one another's burdens. And it takes humility to realize there's nothing I can do on my own. My total dependence is on Jesus. I need him for everything. Because pride says, you know what, I'll cover 50% and Jesus can cover the other 50%. Humility says, um, I can't do it at all. God, I can't even cover 1%. Will you please like take my life, take it all, because that's all I have to give. I don't have pride. I don't have any, like anything good in me, but I give it all to you. That takes humility. And so Peter is telling us that the essence of the church is to live in humility, to be dependent on Christ. Why? Because he goes on in verse eight, which this is anti-America thinking, because like, hey, especially Southeast Kansas, everything's great. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Again, we've talked about it before. Did you wake up knowing that you're in a battle? 
Did you wake up this morning thinking, okay, there is somebody out there, something out there, and you are hated, vehemently hated, because you are a child of God? That is what we are told. We're told that Satan hates us, that we're told in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he is a thief, that he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We're told in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that he masquerades or he disguises himself as an angel of light, that his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, and he is going to do it by trying to deceive you. That it's his number one tactic, Garden of Eden. He said, did God really mean that? He's a deceiver. And then Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 8, or chapter 5, there's not eight chapters. Chapter 5, verse 8, he said, he is a lion prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. So we're told, be sober-minded, be alert, because we have an enemy who wants to steal your joy, who wants to kill, who wants to destroy, and he is looking to devour. And that could be scary, because at the zoo, I'm pretty brave around a lion. You remove that cage, I'm probably not going to be there anymore. I'm running away. Like, I'm telling you, if, if, if somebody said, hey, at 3150 Southwest Center Road, which is the address here, there is a lion seen roaming around this building. How many of y'all are going to like, I mean, <laughs> Southeast Kansas, pretty sure we're all packing, but <laughs> let's take away that stuff. You know, it's like uh, suddenly not so brave, but yet there is a lion out there and he's seeking to destroy, to steal, to kill. But we're also told in Colossians chapter two, verse 15, that Jesus has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. He triumphed over them. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Satan's roaming around. He's roaring. He's prowling. But he's not victorious. Jesus has conquered him. And so Peter, he goes on and tells us how we confront him. He says, resist the devil. Now through the Bible, you're going to hear, flee from temptation, flee from the love of money, but don't flee from Satan. You can't flee from what you can't see. But instead, he says, resist him. But again, as you are in that strong flowing river and you are trying to anchor in, you do not anchor into yourself. You do not start grabbing at little saplings and little twigs because they're going to break apart. And that's like grabbing at your career or your future or your finances or whatever it is. You're going to be grabbing at all this stuff and it's just going to break and break and break. But instead, Jesus says through Peter, he says, resist the devil. How? By being firm in your faith. Jesus set the example for that. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is confronted by the devil, and they go out into the wilderness. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Then the devil comes and meets him, starts tempting him. And notice, every single time, Jesus responds. He stands firm in his faith. He stands firm in the word of God. 
That's what we're called to do. Peter told us last week, he said, arm yourselves with the same mindset of Christ. Paul tells us that we are in this spiritual battle. And so he says, arm yourselves with the full armor of God. And after you've armed yourself, having done everything in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 6, he says, stand firm. That we are called to anchor ourselves in Christ. That we stand firm in him. In the truth of his word. In the fact, because again, this is specifically, it's a universal statement, specifically in the context of suffering. Of having anxiety and worries. And he says, cast your cares upon Christ. Resist the devil. Stand firm in the faith. Because again, we know this life is not all there is. James tells us this life is but a vapor in the wind. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But the eternal life that we have waiting for us, it's eternity. And we risk, we, we anchor our lives in that. Because we know that whatever comes our way, God will give us the strength to get through it. Peter says that in verse 10. He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, he will restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That he will get you through it. That he will be faithful. And again, this is why God has given us this body of believers and all the body of believers around the world. Because Paul, or not Paul, Peter says, you know, do not consider it weird that you are suffering because you know that your brothers overseas are experiencing the same things. And honestly, they're experiencing way worse, but they're standing firm in the faith. And so Peter says, you too stand firm in the faith. And then Paul tells, or not Paul, but the writer of Hebrews tells us, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, that we not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but instead we encourage each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. I received a newsletter this week from uh, a friend of mine down in Texas, and he shared this story about Maasai warriors in Kenya. And he said that when they have a lion coming near, this is what they said, when the sheep get skittish, and a patch of grass isn't swaying with the wind, we know there's a lion close by. What do they do? They neither run to the lion nor from the lion. When the lion attacks, they get closer to their group. They band together. One warrior, he showed a scar on his chest from a lion attack to a fellow missionary. And he said, when the lion jumped on me, my brothers jumped on the lion. Not a single one of my brothers died, but the lion died. We have a lion that is seeking to devour us. So when we feel that struggle, when we feel suffering coming, you know what the natural reaction is? Isolate. No, I can't let people know what I'm going through. No, I don't, I don't want to be around people. You know, it, it's just too much. I, I, I just want to be home you know what we're told to do? Do not neglect meeting together. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. 
serve one another, love one another, draw near to one another. We need each other. It's not an isolationary religion. When you gave your life to Christ, you became a part of the body of Christ. The hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. But instead, we need one another. Because as Peter said in verse 10, he said, suffering will come. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Jesus said suffering's gonna come. Peter said suffering's gonna come. It's gonna come in one way or another. And the reason why is because as Peter's been talking about, you're not a citizen of this earth. You have been called to an eternal kingdom to live as a citizen of that kingdom. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter four, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So live like kingdom citizens, but when you do, brace yourselves. Stand firm in the faith because you know suffering is going to come. So again, the question might be, why would I sign up for that? Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so then he said in verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then Peter says in chapter three, verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Next week, we're gonna start this series. And uh, I, I just wanna encourage you, come. I think it's gonna bless us. I am so excited about it because you're gonna get to hear testimonies of some of your fellow believers here in this room of what God did in their life, that they are going to share how Peter just said, always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that you have. And then we're also gonna be looking at a couple stories that Jesus transformed their lives. And when you're touched by Jesus, it's like, you decide among yourselves what is right, if I should speak in this name or not, but I can't help but speak about what I have seen and heard. And so I encourage you, come back and invite somebody because we're gonna get to see the love of God for his people. And I, I mean, I am honestly thrilled and we got some amazing people that are gonna sing some specials that are gonna blow your socks off. So strap on the sandals. It's gonna be good. I'm excited about it. I want you to be excited about too, about what God has done in this body and is going to continue to do in this body. And the reason is because of what we just looked at. As we saw in Revelation, he is worthy, he is victorious, he is reigning, and he is returning. And that because of all that, we are citizens of an eternal kingdom. And therefore, it's because he touched our lives and we just go and share what he's done in our lives. Good news is you don't have to wait till after next week to share what God's done in your life. You can start here and now today. Go as Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to obey all the commands that I have given you. And behold, I am with you 
even to the ends of the earth. Father God, we thank you again for the eternal hope that we have found only in Jesus. God, I praise you for that. You are so good. And God, I just pray that we rest our lives on that hope that as, as Jesus shared, we build our house on the rock, that rock being Jesus, that it be nothing else that we're banking our lives on, but it only be, God, who you are and what you've done for us through Jesus. And I just pray that if there be anybody in this room that is struggling with something as, as we see sufferings going to come, may we be able to rally around them Show them your love, show them your grace and your mercy and comfort them, encourage them, strengthen them to point them back to you, Jesus. And if there be anybody that does not have hope in you, work in their heart the way that only you can. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this, amen.